Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Harris, underpastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder in America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, uh, Naropa University. <laughs> Fantastic. And Zach, today we are joined by a special guest. Tell us about our guest. Oh, Matt, uh, we have told so many stories on this podcast about their, uh, about our esteemed guest. Uh, this guest has, has deeply shaped uh, the work of this podcast. Uh, it's central question, what's the good news? Uh, it's come from this person. Uh, is the bishop doctor, or do you go doctor, bishop, bishop, doctor? Uh, I'm, Craig I'm not a bishop these days, but I am a doctor, yep. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, bishop of the... Is the official name of the Synod the Mitten Synod? Yeah, the, the official name is the, first of all, my name is Craig Satterley. And uh, the <laughs> official you. name is the Northwest Lower Michigan Synod of the ELCA. And that's a mouthful, so we lovingly call it the Mitten Synod. Okay. I think you yeah. should just go ahead and, and go Mitten, because that makes way more sense to me than the other <laughs> words you just said. Well, the, the, the problem is synods don't get to pick their own names. Oh. The National Church does that. Can we blame Kevin Strickland for that? Because we, we like can. to blame Kevin Strickland for lots of things. Everything that goes on in church-wide offices that is not good is Kevin Strickland's fault. <laughs> this is amazing. This is... Yeah. yeah. That is true. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but so Kevin is an official uh, frenemy of the podcast. Uh, He's a friend of me. Oh, cool. He was he was supposed to come on one time. And and according to his version of events, as something came up and he couldn't make it. We think that he just ditched us. I Kevin and I are actually friends from uh, college because he went down to he was at Newberry and I was up at Clemson and and we did stuff together. Uh, So we 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 try to blame Kevin as much as possible. Well, Kevin will tell you that he comes to conference bishops meeting because he provides excellent worship. We all know that he needs to come and get scolded. So. <laughs> <laughs> he has a sound effect that'll get, get that will get edited in. It's the What's that? Yes, a, what? there's a sound effect on the podcast for Kevin Strickland. Yeah. Uh, anytime we mention his name, uh, our producer drops in uh, from Home Alone when uh, Macaulay when they yell Kevin. Uh, is oh, what I, love <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> so producer Nick is going to be busy this episode. <laughs> I was going to ask about the synod first. Yes. Is that so? What part of Michigan? So it includes. It's not Detroit, right? No, it's the so lower it's the, peninsula of Michigan. Okay. Except for Detroit, Flint, okay. Ann Arbor, and that corner down Got here, and that's it. southeast. So it's everything else. Got it. So it's uh, 115 congregations spread out. Spread out over, I think it's 3,288 square miles. Okay. Yeah. So cities like Lansing, Flint, or Flint, Lansing, Grand Rapids, Alpena, Traverse City, and a lot of little towns. Yep. Got it. Yep. I know a little bit about Michigan. My wife grew up in Grand Rapids and has family in Lansing, so yep. go over there from time to yep. time. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And how long have you been bishop of that city? I have been bishop since September 1st, 2013, so I'm in my sixth year. Ooh. We are We are about... 15 weeks away from a bishop election. Okay. So, and are you 
open to re-election or? I am open to re-election. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. I think I just saw in the news today where, where Bernie is running for, for bishop as well now. Does that? Bernie Sanders is. Yes. I assume <laughs> yeah. it was for a bishop of the Mitten Synod, but I didn't I didn't read the article. Signing bishop. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's one of those coming up. If he can be independent and run as a Democrat, he can be Jewish and run as a Lutheran. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> what uh see for six years what's been the most surprising thing about being bishop oh that's interesting i'm surprised every time the gospel shows up hmm. in unimaginably like i couldn't have guessed this ways <laughs> and i'm also surprised when um the path seems clear and we choose to do something else. Hmm. So I think I think both both things surprise me. Yep. I, I now understand why it took Israel forty years to get there. <laughs> <laughs> you because know, we're slow yeah. and we work really hard to get back to the way things used to be. I get all righteous about it, and then I find myself guilty as charged. So because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the changes that I like. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the that's, that's the good. yeah. How does uh how does preaching look from this uh, from the bishop's chair as opposed from the uh, the preaching prof chair? Yeah, that, it's interesting because the preaching prof chair you send um you you kind of teach people to preach and then send send them out into the world and um you never hear from people again. Mm-hmm. Or you hear from the people. That, we're here. Well, we're talking. No, since I've left the seminary, I do hear from people again, and um, you know, hear about what the difference. Asking the question, what's the good news makes. I also am in congregations, and the feedback I get on my sermons tells me a lot about my own preaching, hmm. but also the preaching that people are accustomed to hearing, for huh. good and for bad. Yeah. You know. And I think people are really, I, you know, I don't want to say I was right, but I was right. Mm-hmm. People are really hungry to hear about Jesus, and they are mm-hmm. really hungry to hear good news. And they don't want to run quickly to what we should, ought, and must do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. nice to know that my teaching career was relevant. Yeah. <laughs> well... Yeah, I don't know how it makes you feel, but you've ruined me because I uh, I get around a lot on Sunday mornings, whether it's preaching or uh, sitting in congregations and hearing yeah. sermons. Yeah. But goodness, do I, uh, man, I uh, sermons about what we are uh, need to be doing or telling me what yep. to do just drive me insane. Yep, uh, me too. <laughs> me too. And the thing that the thing that I I really come to understand is there's a book called Preaching the Story. It's about 30, 40 years old. Written by um, the chapters written by Maureen Edenthal and Charles Rice, in which they talk about the churchy context of preaching, huh. and they said kind of the secret is we're supposed to proclaim the radical grace of God, but we're also supposed to keep the church going, and it's sometimes those two kind of bump into each other, and um, I, I think more than ever, pastors feel the pressure to keep the church going. And I think that's that concern slips into preaching in ways we may not anticipate. So I like to tell pastors, if you've got to choose between preaching radical grace or keeping the church going, preach radical grace. You know, that doesn't go well when mission support is down, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. yep. 
I have been amazed since preaching class at how much the extent to which preaching class was like beginning to dip your toe in the water, right? Yeah. Getting that getting that core question, right, which is so critical. Yep. But then how much development you still you do afterwards too, right? Like after the experience of actually playing the game um, right. Sunday after Sunday yeah. and the different skills that you pick up and then the congregational exegesis that has to happen. I mean, I, I preach in a cross-cultural context, which means I have to go another step of like of exegesis of the people, right? And listening to folks. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it is... Uh, it is it is incre- it is continuing to be clear to me that this is a lifelong thing yeah. to develop right yeah, yeah. Preach, preaching is i really think it is a dance with the congregation mm-hmm. um and it takes you you know when you when we're new to congregations or to synods it takes us a couple of years to learn to dance together yeah <laughs> and yeah. you know I, I think that's just true and you know in my synod you know if i'm preaching depending on where i'm preaching in the synod because we're Michigan and we're divided on many things, um, that that nuances how I can say the same message. Which congregation am I in? After the election, we were getting—I was getting phone calls from people, and they're like, um, "This is like in January, what 20, 20, what was it, twenty eighteen, right? Or yeah, seventeen, yeah, seventeen, yeah." Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, um, so I'm really mad at my pastor. And I'm like, okay, what's the problem? <laughs> oh, the pastor is picking text to embarrass the President of the United States. Oh, what what text is your pastor picking? Well, the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would explain there's a lectionary, and the pastor did not pick those passages to embarrass the president. It's okay. Kevin's fault, clearly. It's Kevin's fault. So then the phone would ring again in the afternoon. It's another parishioner from the same congregation. <laughs> I'm really mad at my pastor. What is, why are you mad at your pastor? Well, the, the readings, the assigned readings are from the Sermon on the Mount, and the pastor's letting the president off the hook. <laughs> same congregation. Same congregation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we think we say this thing and we just, it goes out of our mouth and, it, you know, we know what we said. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, um, one of the questions, we have a number of, uh, of questions we try to hit every week. One of them is what sure. is happening in your context uh we are we're about to talk about lent a little bit uh getting ready to head into lent what is happening these days in the life of uh the mitten synod yeah that's that's a wonderful question because what you know lots is happening in the life of mitten synod and as you or at any synod and if you ask 10 different people um you would um get 10 different answers because it depends on where you're in the city in the office here um we are gearing up for a synod assembly with a bishop election. Mm-hmm. We're doing some continuing ed- events between um, now and then. One of them is on Bonhoeffer and the environment. One of them is our annual day for for congregational leaders. It's a day of workshops. Um, I'm going to do a, a day where we, we do the sermons from June 24th to November 24th, so like six months of preaching in a day. Um, sort of those kind of things considering uh, professional ministry are on the rise um, which we really thank God for um, call processes are always um, a, a reality matching the right pastor with the right um, with the right congregation is always a challenge and we are having increasing con- conversation about what it means for congregations to be sustainable 
our congregations being called to partner. And what do we do with congregations that really want to be who they are as for as long as they can, realizing that that's not right? How do you, um, like, I think Zach and I both talked about this on the podcast, but like you look around, you see congregations that might need to have that conversation about partnership. How, like, I mean, you talked earlier about you, like having a path that seems clear, but choosing to do something else. How do you, how do you make that conversation happen? Even if you can't make it happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I talk about it. I mean, I talk about it in big terms. Mm-hmm. So I talk about the fact that, you know, you're not the only congregation in our city. All these congregations need to have it. You're one of them. So, you know, and I re- I'm pretty clear that because, you know, Roman Catholic bishops can go in and say, you're done, you're done. You're, you know, we don't have <laughs> right. authority, um, but it really is your decision. Um, neither do we have the resources to allow you to not change, for, you know, indefinitely. So yeah. that's kind of the truth. And I've really, I've really taken solace and, and um, help from the preaching of Jesus who never coerced anyone. Yeah. He never coerced anyone. It was like, you know, follow me, and if you do, great. If you don't, great. You know, let those who have ears to hear, hear. And there's no coercion or threats or, you know, he, he went on to another town. And um, there's plenty of work to do. So we, we more and more are putting our energies into places where they've been received. Well, it sounds like there is there is some truth telling there, right? There's like exactly. here's here's a situation, yep. and then whatever that truth does, then yeah. right, exactly, yep, yeah, yep. So I'm also I mean, same same talk to you, Zach. Um, also excited. We, campus ministry has gotten kind of a revitalized boost in this synod. Good, and yeah. The good things about the stuff that's happening at like Michigan State, yeah, and Western and um, and Central. So that's that makes me glad that we've actually been able to. Yeah. So we also like, as I said to the staff, we need to count the wins. Right. Yeah. The WIS, because it's easy to get lost in. There's still more work to do. So we got to yeah. count the wins. Yeah. 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 I got to know and work a little bit with Fred Fritz before uh, before he retired up there. Yeah. Um, yep. So yep. glad yep. to hear that things are going well. Uh, in place and they're really good and it's good fun. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I think I talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week, but we're coming off of, uh, we do a thing called Campus Ministry Sunday here in the Rocky Mountain Synod, uh, and we've stolen the ideas from other folks. Uh, and the thing uh, that has really become one of my favorite things that we do all year is we send students out to preach all in the same day in local congregations. Oh, fun. Uh, so we had, we just wrapped up being in, in uh, nine congregations locally. But more fun than them preaching itself is we spend about two months working together to write sermons. We do Bible study together. We do a preaching lab where they preach at each other. And so, uh, so I'm getting a little bit of rest after uh, I got to I got to walk uh, in the bishop doctor's uh, shoes because uh, I got to read sermons and stuff. And 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 oh, I, I ended up having to preach on campus ministry Sunday. We needed to be in one more place. Uh, and I just basically wrote like an anthology of the sermons from. Students, because they had way better stuff than I had after uh, after two months. So, and they all preached good news. So that was I, I was pleased. Mm-hmm. How about it, LA? What's happening uh, down in South Los Angeles these days, man? Yeah, um, good question. Well, we met. Uh, I had a meeting last week with uh, other pastors in the New City Parish, which is our 
coalition of Lutheran churches in South Central Inglewood and Compton uh, to start planning our Holy Week. We do a Good Friday service together uh, that's bilingual and multi-sensory and I get really excited about because it it's one of the most creative things uh, that we do. And so um, I'm excited about Holy Week. This It feels like a chance, a time when I get to play, which sounds kind of counterintuitive given the themes of Holy Week. But <laughs> um, but there's so much opportunity for creativity, I think. Um, and that's what I get really fired up about. So, yeah, we're looking ahead to it already. Oof. Already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's around the corner. It is yeah. right around the yeah. corner. Very this is advanced planning for Matt. Uh, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> this, is, this is ministry, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Matt, do you happen to have the time? Do you know what time it is? Uh, is it time for the text? That's correct. It's time <laughs> for the text. <laughs> Is there a sound effect for that too? There that. is. Nick rings a bell. It's like a like the end of the start of a fight. Uh, you know, round of a fight. Oh, fun! Fantastic. So we're oh my gosh. First, we're looking at the text today for the first Sunday in Lent, um, but it's Lent Year C. You know, the further I get into this, and the more uh, reading I do, people get all excited and geek out about the Lent Year A texts because uh, they're so great for the catechumenate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but B and C, what do we do with them if we're so excited about the year A texts, right? Give us, uh, we want to think a little bit about year C and what uh, what special gifts this year might have to offer us. So, Bishop Sadler, we were just wondering if you could help us uh, kick off this year's Lent. Uh, what are some general themes of year C? What comes to mind for you when you think Lent year C? When I think of Lent year C, when I think year C, I think of Luke. For me, as I've spent time, because I do a little thing every Tuesday, it comes out. It's called Take One in our Synod, in which I, um, it's Take One because there's no editor. I don't have a, I don't have an editor like you guys do. You get me running the camera, and yeah, and I talk about the texts. And um, for me, Luke is all about Jesus turning the world upside down. <laughs> or I would say right-sizing the world, turning it back to the way God wants. Um, and that starts with uh, Mary's song and goes all the way through. And um, Lent might, if Lent is a season of repentance, Lent might be about um, returning our lives, returning the church, participating in Jesus' work of turning the world upside down or right-sizing the world. And I think that's more in Luke than anywhere else. Turning the world upside down or right-sizing it. Yeah, I love that. I love the uh, I, I got into some directional things as I've looked at, uh, at the first week of Lent, especially coming off the back of the Transfiguration. Uh, there's some directional stuff there. Right. In that um, right Transfiguration, uh, they go up uh, and they come down. But then the temptations are all these temptations to go up. He puts Jesus on the top of the, the devil, puts Jesus on the top of the temple. Uh, they takes him up to see all the kingdoms of the world. He promises about the possibility of uh, filling up his hunger. Uh, and Jesus refuses those ups uh, in order to go down. And I think you could play the transfiguration off of that first, however you want to do it, those two weeks. I see a couple pairs, right? I see that paired. And then uh, I like the fig tree paired with the prodigal son as well, which is the third and fourth week of Lent, uh, that you've got fig trees that aren't producing figs. Um, and then I just have fallen in love with the Girardian reading of the prodigal son, mm. uh, where it really focuses on the fact that uh, 
It's just, gosh, I love it. I love that line where he comes out to the field uh, and the, the, the non-prodigal son says, you never gave me or my friends even one goat, uh, which I can just hear myself mostly, right? But like, <laughs> oh, I've said that so many times to people in power. But then to go back and be like, wait a second, the other son's already cashed out. These are all your goats. Exactly. Uh, you were yeah. like just like that that I haven't found it because I, I I feel it in in the in the in the kind of themes you laid out there. Uh, it's not just upside down, but it's this like refusal to like there is this other way uh, uh, that we just would much rather say you have never gave me and my friends even one goat, um, and yet our fig trees don't have any figs. You know. Anything else in the broader broader theme, Zach, or should we move into the specific text? Um, I think that's good. I think okay. I'm puzzled a little bit by, I think there's a lot to build on in Luke. You get Luke for four weeks and then John sneaks in at the end there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, poor, again, we just on this podcast mostly lament Mark and how Mark never gets to, to, to be the gospel reading in his own year. Any suggestions, Bishop Satterley? So, so the reasoning, the lectionary reasoning, and you can either... You can either like it or not. <laughs> but like on Palm Sunday, you know, we read the Matthew, Mark, Luke reading. And then on Good Friday, we always read the Johannine reading. Mm-hmm. So some argue that um, kind of the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of give the events. And John is used to provide theological commentary. Because um, John, if you will, makes clear that, that the cross is the glorification of Jesus. Mark may not make clear. So that, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's supposed to be one of the reasons for the way the lectionary is structured. I think, I think John 12 fits with some of the, of that abundance harvest sort of uh, different ways of seeing the world kind of thing mm-hmm. as well. Like, like in so many of the parables, we can read them into like, well, look at these dummies who didn't know what they were doing. Uh, clearly, this is the thing we're supposed to do. Um, and I think... I can at least read myself into being the smart guy in the prodigal son from time to time. Uh, but then when, uh, when I forget, is it a disciple who says, you know, we could have sold that perfume from fed the, it's Judas, I guess. Uh, Judas. Yep. <laughs> jury's still out on him. We don't want to, don't want to say anything. Um, uh, but we all have that voice. Yeah. Everybody in the pews is going to be like, well, yeah, that's, that's was definitely the more faithful thing to do. Uh, wasn't it? Uh, and so to, I kind of like how that closes off the, before you get into Holy Week, just like, wait a second, I'm on the other side of this thing. Uh, you know, I'm not on the right side. Awesome. Love it. So I'm going to give some of my themes, I think, once we, once we get in. Um, but I like, man, I really like what y'all are saying here. Um, some of it gets me to the question of, um, well, we talked about truth telling earlier. And what is truth and what is reality? What is, um, you know, if we're talking about turning the world right side up, um, there's a way in which we can get kind of sucked into this way of thinking that the way we live in the world now is right side up. Like, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, And there's a pulling back of the curtain and a reminder to us of the way that the world should be, will be, was, was, is, ever shall be, however you want to phrase that. Um, But there's some, there's some forgetting and remembering that happens too, I think in that, if that makes sense. And I think we'll see some of that today. Yeah, ready? I'm ready, Matt. I'm ready. Okay. Oh my goodness. So first Sunday in Lent year C, Deuteronomy 26, one, two, 11. 
Reading from Deuteronomy, uh, people of Israel that come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. We hear that phrase over and over, the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It comes around again and again as a reminder, almost as if the text is trying to remind, the storyteller here is trying to remind the people to remember that part. Uh, And then it comes to this really, you know, this story that they are really supposed to remember the heart of it here, that this is the response that they make when they come to the altar of the Lord. They bring their first fruits from the land and they say these words. And I'm just going to read him because this this is the key part here. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first fruit the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. Uh, And then they're supposed to set that down before the Lord your God. And then together with Levites and the aliens who reside among you now shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Word of God, word of life. What a text. Oh, so pretty, man. It's so pretty. A wandering Aramean. Initial thoughts and reactions? Ash Wednesday, we get to hear about almsgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And because stewardship and money is one of my preaching things, um, you know, this is about bringing the first fruit, bringing your cash. Um, remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. Um, so the good news in all this is all that God has done for us. The invitation, I think, is to use our money to remember it. There's Lent. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I think that's my favorite stewardship text. Yeah. This this one's your favorite stewardship yeah. text. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So this text oh what this text brings to mind for me. So in my congregation as in Los Angeles, we have a, a really high, um, belief, probably 80% of our congregation is Belizean American. So, uh, immigrants from Belize, second, third generation now. Uh, and, Folks have this tradition that they remember from back home, from back in the Caribbean and Central America, of doing a Harvest Sunday in November. And what Harvest Sunday means for these folks is that everybody wears white to church. Everybody prepares these baskets of fruit and grain and flowers. Uh, and even we decorate the sanctuary with these giant stalks of sugarcane, which now a member of my congregation grows in his backyard <laughs> just for the oh, service. Wow. Right? And it's just, it's just amazing. Now, of course, it is never as good as it was back home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and this is the text that we read uh, before folks bring up the first fruits. It's almost like at this service, the offering section of the service gets kind of expanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very similar liturgical, it just gets expanded. And then we read this text. Um, and it always blows my mind because you, you hear 
you, you, you feel that bringing forward of the, um, of the offering, but also remembering this history, right? And also this, like, this immigration history, this, this sense that you came from somewhere. Uh, and it might be from one land to another, but it also goes deeper than that, right? That you are gods, that you come from this even more ancient story, um, an even more ancient identity. There's, there's, this, there's these multiple layers of things going on here. And yeah, that sense of like that amnesia that we're always tempted into, right? Of forgetting this story. It can so easily be erased and forgotten. Um, and yet we remember it through this ritual. Uh, we remember who we are and who we are. I, it just, yeah, it, it's, and it's interesting now to have it for the first Sunday of Lent because I, yeah. I, I associate it so much with November and with harvest. And so to have it here in March as we kick off the season of Lent is an interesting time to have it. It would be fun to help your people reflect, to use the experience of November when they're not doing it to help them reflect on what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry, one more. So I kept reading this line, they live there as an alien, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a, I mean, it's an interesting word, but but that is a word that we still use when we say resident aliens. I have a number of green card holders in my congregation, right? And some of those cards actually say resident alien on them. I'm tempted to retranslate it immigrant to like make it clear what this, so it doesn't kind of just roll past your head. Mm -hmm. um, and yet that, that line, it's still real. It's still a thing, right? That we, we have these stories and yet we have people today who are, as this text says, right? I mean, it says to remember who you are and then look around at who those folks are today. Like that's, it's written into the text. However you want to play that on preaching, there's, there's something going on there that I think is relevant. <laughs> yeah. Man, I love wandering Aramean. Oh my gosh, that is just—you know this. We talk about it on the podcast because because it gives a, for as a person who works with young adults uh, who are in a wandering stage of life, and as a person uh, who emotionally has felt uh, like they've lived most of their life as a wandering Aramean. It's the good news that, that just because you're a wandering Aramean uh, is not a sign of, uh, of of your faithlessness or a lack of God's presence. Uh, but the, the, it's the good news that the bounty that your harvest festival uh, comes uh, to those who are wandering Arameans, uh, I think. And I had to try so hard not to put Born on a Train, uh, the Magnetic Field song, back <laughs> on the playlist this week because I'm sure I've put it on more than once already. It's okay. Uh, it's allowed. It's all right. I have other options. It's going to be if fine. The, if the texts come around again and again, you can put songs on again and again. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you just are empowered because you too has such a vast catalog. That's true. <laughs> All right. Anything else on the first reading? Anything else? All right. So we usually do two readings. Do you want to? Do we want to say Romans ten eight to thirteen? Well, the gospel is so good. Yeah. Yeah. The gospel is so good. So let's zoom to the gospel then. Luke four one to thirteen. Tell us about it, Zach. Oh, I right. will tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you, uh, Bishop Saddle, you tell us about you're excited. Uh, you can do it justice. This, this is the temptation in, in Luke's gospel. Um, so Jesus goes from the from being baptized into the wilderness, and we really get to, and he's tempted by the devil, and we really get like let in on the temptations. Um, and I never forget the forget the order, but the first one is um, Jesus goes forty days without food, and he's hungry. And it's command uh, these stones, the temptations command the stones to become loaves of bread. So satisfy your needs and the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, then there's a temptation um, where um, he, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and tells him to throw himself off 
And because in the scriptures it says, you know, he will send his angels to have charge of you and you will not um, strike your foot against a stone. So the devil's talking scripture um, to get Jesus to do what the devil wants. So this, I think, is about shock and awe, as we used to say in the good old days. If if you just have enough spectacle, if you have enough innovation, um, if you have the cool program, uh, Jesus, it'll all will go well with you. And uh, Jesus like, no. Um, and then the third one is, um, and you, you, you should not put the Lord God to the test, Jesus says. And then the third one is, you know, shows them all, the devil shows them all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and says, all this will be yours if you'll fall down and worship me. So go ahead, make an alliance. Partner with the structures of the world as they are. And Jesus says, no, um, you shall have the Lord, only the Lord your God and him only shall you serve So as I hear all these temptations, this is Jesus sorting out what kind of Messiah he's going to be. So is he going to, is he going to meet, meet our needs like Santa Claus? Is he going to dazzle us with shock and awe? Um, Is he going to, is he going to, um, you know, sign up to work with the powers of the world? Nope. In all of this, Jesus says, answers, he's going to be the kind of Messiah that is obedient to God. And that's what Jesus does. And it takes him to a cross. And um, I love the way the reading ends because the devil departs until an opportune time. All right? <laughs> it ain't done yet. So in the garden, <laughs> it'll be the opportune time. Yeah. Um, Jesus struggles with this. And I think as a church, we struggle with this on who are we going to be as Christ's body in the world. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm always mindful that... Um, First Sunday of Lent comes like four days after we've all begun our Lenten discipline, where we all had these great things. What are you going to give up for Lent? What are you going to take on for Lent? And by Sunday, most of us have blown it. <laughs> so this is not about be strong like Jesus, because I can't. Uh-huh. But this is remember who what Jesus did for us, and that Jesus chose and was obedient to God for us. Because we can't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love this text. Yeah. Uh, Klein's notes uh, for this week talk about how uh, the Deuteronomy reading includes a creed that was read. It's like the first fruits, the festival mm-hmm. of first few fruits. And so that's, that's, I like that reading this almost as like the creed of uh, Jesus' uh, ministry and identity of who Jesus is, uh, is this thing that gets going in Luke. Well, and I almost saw it as that. Um, there's almost a mirroring of like the baptismal rite, right? Where this is like the this is the great no, this is the mm-hmm. uh, denying the devil and all this. And then the but then the Deuteronomy text is almost like the creed, right? You almost have like a little mirror image there. Yeah, uh, cool. yeah no, I, I love that Jesus is obedient. We found baptism in Lent. Who saw it coming? <laughs> I know. Right? Get a cumin that isn't in your seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm reading in here too, like, um, cause I, I think that was the part I was first wrestling with, right? I'm, I'm tempted to read it as like, okay, this is, this is how we're supposed to be, right? Like we're, we're moving into this discipline. Yeah. Uh, we're saying no, we're saying yes. Uh, and yet there's a sense in which, yeah, Jesus is the one that does it here. Thinking about this idea of remembering and forgetting. I wonder if one of the things the devil is trying to do in this story too, is to get Jesus to, to forget uh, who he is, or to forget yeah, who God is. The baptismal river. That's right. Yeah, there's like a temptation to forget, and yet Jesus remembers. God remembers. Um, so we forget, 
uh, we're, we're, we're always going to fall into that temptation, but yep. God remembers. Yep. And God gives us these words. Uh, God gives us this word. Yeah. Yeah. God remembers. Mm. And if we did the Romans test, the comfort is the near, the word of God is near you. Mm. Yeah. So this yeah. word, Jesus obedience for us is never far away. I, um, a couple of nuggets that I think fit in here. I'm starting to get a little uh, conspiracy Luke. I got some conspiracy Luke vibes ideas. It begins right. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. I did my word study this week. Uh, and uh, that that word for full uh, only gets used one other time in Luke. And that's in 512, um, which is the story that keeps coming up as we've started to get into Luke. Uh, we haven't told that story in the lectionary. I don't even I haven't. I don't know if we will, right? But it's the thing that the called disciples immediately go to do is they cure the man with leprosy. And what it says, right? Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter five, it's that man is covered or full of leprosy. And again, with this flipping things upside down, uh, kind of like Stranger Things TV show sort of upside down. Uh, ah, gosh, I can't, I'm struck by that resonance of what, if this is a creed about who Jesus is and what Jesus' ministry is going to be about, uh, and being mm. f- full of the Holy Spirit is not that far away uh, or is near to you, right? As we just said, uh, is near to you who are full of leprosy is a thing that, that strikes me. And then you got the stones. We just had the stones, right? God could call up ancestors of Abraham out of these stones. Uh, the stones are all over the place. Uh, of course, evidently, there's a stone at the end of the story in Luke, I think. Uh, I think it was in front of a, what do you call it? A tomb. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, that's the one uh, that gets rolled away. Uh, gosh. Then uh, my last my last little nerd bit. Uh, famished, I thought was interesting. Hungry, it's only used five times in Luke, and we've already hit a number of them. We hit this one. It's in the Annunciation, uh, or in Mary's song, right, that the hungry will be filled. It's in the Beatitudes. And then, again, flipping things upside down, it's used to describe, uh, in Luke 6, eating on the Sabbath. Is uh, They were hungry. They ate on the Sabbath. Yeah, food. Luke loves food. <laughs> it shows up again and again. I mean, there are some classic Lucan, Lucan themes in here, too, like even the full of the Holy Spirit, right? He's by the Spirit. Luke loves to talk about the Spirit. Um, I was struck with by the, I mean, famished loaf of bread. I was struck by the parallel to led by the Spirit. And then in the next uh, little story section, the devil leads him up. He's led by the Spirit, and then he's led by the devil. And I, I'm not quite sure what to do with it, but there's an interesting, like, parallelism going on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which for me is kind of the signs of the, the kind of Jesus trying to consider, maybe even battle, what kind of Messiah he's going to be. You also, as a nerd, uh, uh, you get uh, Kronos and Kairos because uh, he goes up in an instant, which is Kronos, right? You're like linear time. Uh, and then it's Kairos at the end uh, when the devil departs uh, until what? an opportune time. Uh, uh, yeah. Gosh, and I could I could nerd pretty hard about how this upside down world has its own time. I do to, I nerd on time uh, sometimes. Uh, an unlinear uh, thing, cyclical. That's what we've been hitting the past couple of weeks. Is how life in Luke is a cyclical thing. Yep. It's not a static. Uh, like it's not just a simple reversal of the beatitudes, right? But it's living in this rhythmic uh, cruciform pattern. So Matt, it's time. Time. What's the what's the good news? <laughs> what's the good gotcha. news? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for me it's gonna be God remembers. That's what I'm gonna run with. God remembers. Be thinking about um that's 
That's where I'm going with it. I was ready. You were ready, as am I. I'm going. Guy I knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, I'm going. God comes down. I do. I do a lot of God comes down. But I, as I, as I said earlier, I like the directional stuff. God coming down to the wandering Arameans. God coming down to those who are covered in leprosy and those who are full of the Spirit. Uh, I think there's a lot of good news in God coming down. Bishop Satterley, what's the good news this week? Jesus obeys when we cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt, more importantly now, what are you listening to this week? <laughs> what am I listening to? Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right, I got, I got four songs. I got a couple of, couple of tracks here. So uh, it's a classic, maybe a little too obvious, uh, but the Rolling Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. <laughs> Pleased <laughs> to meet you. I, you know, I was listening to it again. I mean, it's just, you know, they're kind of on fire at that time the stones and this just has such a mood that it sets uh but this idea i mean i mean Mick Jagger kind of places this devil character as someone that comes around it again and again in history in these lyrics right and so i think that's the sense that i'm connecting to this time of the way these things uh, especially we look around the world today things that we thought we, we were past we're not past mm-hmm. uh and and that idea that these things these temptations come around again and again uh in history and in our lives so, Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, and I wanted a wandering song, and I got, you know, there are so many, Zach, that we love. Oh, because we, gosh. As, as Enneagram 4s, love wandering and you melancholy. Like anything but, that sparks complicated <laughs> emotions. I just I love that line we came up with last week. But I, but I wanted to go with something that wasn't uh, just, uh, you know, me having wanderlust, but was uh, Travelers Today. So I went with... Uh, with a, a song about immigration from Calle Trece, Pal Norte. Uh, it's, a, it's a yeah, it's a good one. It's in Spanish. Uh, brings to life some of these uh, some travels that folks do today out of more than wanderlust. So Calle uh, Trece, Pal Norte, and then uh, gosh, which way do I want to go with this? Mm, I'm going to go with this one now. This land is your land. This mm-hmm. land is your land. Uh, as a reminder mm-hmm. from this Deuteronomy text, there's a way to read it that says. Uh, no, this this land is yours, humans. But I think that Woody Guthrie is getting us something deeper in this song, right? Especially when it gets to that one verse that we always forget, mm-hmm. uh, where the one side of the sign says no trespassing and the other side didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this reminder of like, no, no, <laughs> like this land belongs uh, to all of us because it belongs to God. This land, this land is your land. And I might look for a, a cover of that. Check out the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings version, a really soulful uh, R&B uh, funky version of it. it's really really good and then finally on this theme of remembering I had I just watched again uh, with my kids the movie Coco which is really fantastic and there's this scene at the end right where the the grandmother Mama Coco is forgetting right and she remembers mm-hmm. her song and it is such a heartbreak like I cried again I've already seen this movie you make me cry now man oh my gosh <laughs> But uh, but she remembers, and uh, it's really this movie about the importance of remembering. Um, so remember me from Coco. So so Bishop Saturday, this podcast got started because Matt is renowned for his uh, his playlist making abilities, and it started for me with Matt would would uh, uh, he was really good at making geographic playlists. Okay. Uh, so, so him and Chris, they spent a year down in Mexico in the middle of seminary. And before uh, my wife and I went down to hang out with them for a while, I received in the mail a CD of, uh, to prepare us for the trip to Mexico. And Calle Trece, who Matt just put on the podcast, on the playlist, was one of the songs on there. And this past weekend, I was driving students uh, to, uh, to a retreat and coming back. Uh, and there were some, some uh, Spanish-speaking uh, Mexican-American uh, students. And I played Calle Trece. And my street cred, Matt, 
through the roof, they said, was this Calle Trece. So thank you, Matt, for helping me out. How about you, Bishop Satterley? What are... No, no songs. No songs? All right. Nope. Well, Matt's making up for you because he put 18 songs on the playlist this week. Um, four. Four? Four plus a cover if you want to listen to that one. Um, Matt, I really wanted to put All the Way Up with Fat Joe and French Montana on because uh, of the directional stuff. I'm going all the way up. But it doesn't fit the song at all, actually, right? It would be all the way down if you had to flip it around. So I'm going to go Jack Johnson's uh, Upside Down uh, off of uh, Curious George soundtrack. Lovely uh, about Upside Down. And then Matt, I'm glad we jumped over the Romans because I've got all kinds of issues with the Romans here in my, my southern roots. Uh, I, I am very concerned with the particularities of what it means to believe uh, in your heart. Nevertheless, we got a lot of hearts, and I'm going to go Bruce Springsteen in your face, Matt. Hungry heart. Uh, Matt is a Bruce fan. Uh, and always puts Bruce on the pod. Um, and then, Matt, I, I did. I wanted to expand my horizons in terms of I've got so many wandering songs, so I went out there to find something else. Uh, and Cat Power uh, in 2018 released a new album called Wanderer, and the intro track and the exit track are both titled Wanderer. Uh, different, same lyrics. Listen to one of those tracks. I'd prefer, I think the closer is the best. Um, but also, recommendation not on the playlist. Uh, check out the whole album. It's like an EP, it's not super long. And actually, I'm going to add one more. I can't help it, Matt. Hopeless, hopeless Wanderer, uh, Mumford and Sons, also on the playlist. Awesome. Love it. The Lenten playlist taking shape. <laughs> Thank Can we you. just say thank you one more time? Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this. I'm glad really to do it this time. Absolutely. Check out Take One. Is that the is that the the title? Take uh, One. Take yep. One. You can find it. I know I've seen it on your personal Facebook. Got my personal web page. You can see it um, through my yeah personal web page. Probably the easiest, which is craigasatterly.com. Yep. Fantastic. And I heard some rumors this week uh, uh -oh. that you might come out and hang out this way next winter at Theoprobe. And in which synod? Uh, at Theoprobe, Luther Seminary does like a continuing ed thing up at like Winter Park. Oh, I've not heard that yet. I hope that's true. <laughs> Fantastic. Barb so this was Brian Lewis and tell her like, yeah. Yeah. Barb Rossing was out here last week. So I was going to say, Barbara would be very impressed with the, uh, the concordance work. Oh yeah. Okay, good. Because Barbara, good. when I when she and I taught John together, she said the best tool for exegesis is a concordance. She can make it sing. She really okay. could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Thanks Thank again. You. And so it's vinyl preacher, right? The vinyl preacher. All right. If you send me a link, I'll share it. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Thank you. You. Peace. All right. Peace. Bye bye. Bye. So it's been real. Vinyl. Vinyl. <laughs>